Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, pod friends, it's me, Dave, and I want to tell you about my friends, the Fire Breathing Kittens. It's an actual play, one-shot podcast that plays various tabletop role-playing games with a season-long plot. Because there's a beginning and an end to each week's story, you can just kick it at any episode. And every week, it's got a different combination of four of the same rotating cast of people. So join Fire Breathing Kittens as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and just enjoy friendship. Look for Fire Breathing Kittens on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are sold. And hey, you can kick them with some scratch over at patreon.com slash firebreathingkittens. Now, on to the show. The following podcast contains... Other truckers! That hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just turned off your whole damn TV station because it was after midnight. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 433, Waiting for a Part of Fall edition of the show, where we talk about the cultural institution that became The Tonight Show. Stay tuned. The what the Hell You Thinking Podcast is brought to you by Panelist R Us, your one-stop shop for celebrity guests. Are you a talk show producer in a pinch with a last-minute cancellation and no one on deck to fill in? Then give Panelist R Us a call. Our stable of C and D list celebrities are ready, willing, and able to drop in with a witty anecdote and glib patter that can fill your six-minute segment. Panelist R Us specializes in guests who make your viewers ask themselves, where do I know that guy from? We guarantee our panelists will be engaging, only slightly risque, but not so entertaining that they'll outshine the host. Take the stress out of last-minute cancellations and call Panelist or Us. Use the code Charles Nelson Riley at checkout and save 10%. From New York City, the National Broadcasting Company presents tonight. Starring Steve Allen. With Edie Gourmet, Steve Lawrence, Pat Marshall, Andy Williams. The music of Skitch Henderson. Tonight's special guests, Wally Cox, Bill Kenny of Inkspot's fame. And New York's greatest giant, Willie Mays. Just off the crossroads of the world, Times Square is NBC's Hudson Theater. That's where we're taking you now, tonight and every night. Now to meet the star of our show... Steve Allen. I am old enough to remember when TV stations just turned off overnight. You ancient bitch. That didn't happen often. I mean, they turned off every night, but just sometimes, sometimes... My folks would let me stay up late watching some movie on the weekend, and inevitably, I'd fall asleep on the couch, only to be jarred awake sometime around 1 a.m. to hear something like, This is WCMH-TV, Channel 4, Columbus, ending another broadcast day. (laughs) 
And then they'd play the national anthem for some reason, and the TV would just go to dead air fuzz. Now, back then, this was totally normal, but it was still kind of fucking weird because it meant that it was officially late. Like, I mean, way past last call late. The kind of late that if you're a grown person means you're up dealing with some shit. It's late, so late that it's actually early. There were no changing channels either. Not where I grew up. (laughs) West Bumblefuck. All the stations went off the air and they would be off the air for hours. Your ass just had to go to bed. Now, there was something about being awake when the world was asleep. This time zone anyway. As a kid, it was kind of spooky, but when I was a young guy, I kind of loved working the night shift. There was something almost romantic about being out and about after the TV sign-off time. Being the only car moving on the streets past rows of darkened houses with only the mutter of art bells and a caller warning about how the reptilians were replacing all the royal family. And every word of it is true. Or if I happen to be not working that night, just taking a walk in the dark, smoking a cigarette and drifting from streetlight to streetlight. When you're awake very, very late, you can imagine you're the only person left in the world. These days, I'm old, so I wake up at zero dark 30. But it's not the same, because I'm just waiting for the sun to come up and the TV stations to turn back on. Not that they do that shit anymore. They're all 24-hour broadcasts now, babbling infomercials and cable news, spewing out bullshit into the dead of the night. Fox News. To a bunch of glassy-eyed zombies either up too late or up way too goddamn early. I miss the dead air time, when just for a few hours each day the churn was still and you could listen to the night. I think we should turn off TV, radio, and the internet for four hours a night every night just like we used to, just so the craziest people among us, and trust me, this is when the crazy people are awake, (laughs) could just be inside their own heads for a little while. It might even kickstart their brains to working. I wouldn't bet on. Yeah, me either, to be truthful, but a man can dream, can't he? The reason I bring this up, at least I think the reason I bring it up, is we're kicking off our winter series this month, and it's all about the history of the late shows. You know, the shows which for decades were the last thing Americans watched before they finally went to bed. Well, that explains this personal thank you note from Ed McMahon. We're going to be talking primarily about NBC's Tonight Show, since that was the late show for so many years. But before we get there, we need to talk about the genre itself and how it came to be a thing. No more learning. Yes, there will be learning. Ellen Hume, a Boston-based journalist, teacher, and civil society activist, tells me on her website, ellenhume.com, quote, The first U.S. talk show featuring a host talking informally to an audience probably was a prosaic farming program beginning broadcasting in 1921 over WBZ in Springfield, Massachusetts, according to historian Wayne Munson. During the 1920s, the radio networks had an estimated 21 talk programs, including public affairs, religion, and housekeeping. Hosts generally appeared as experts educating their audience. They offered a look into a more glamorous and exciting world, unquote. As the media evolved for better and worse, the shows evolved as well. Even before television, the panel appeared with a host interviewing a revolving slate of guests discussing whatever the show was about. Hard news, politics, economic, social issues. Those were the kind of things that dominated early talk shows. That sounds really boring. By and large, this is how the listening audience felt as well. So the topics began to broaden out, and one of the biggest interests of the folks back then, as it is now, were people wanting to know about... About movie and TV stars, don't you? 
They want to know what they think. What do they know? What do they say about important issues of the day, like the movies and televisions they're currently in, and uh, what other famous people they know, and what other famous people they may or may not be fucking. And when the people heard this, they were like, <laughs> And so, what we now consider to be the talk show was born. It was a Bronx native by the name of Joe Franklin. Doesn't sound Jewish. Well, like many early radio and TV personalities, Joe was Jewish, but having a Jewish name, in this case it was Fort Gain, might make white people uncomfortable. Fucking white people. Exactly. Joe began hosting a radio show on New York's WJZ 770 AM in 1951 on a show called Memory Lane. And this transferred to TV very shortly thereafter. In 1961, the Joe Franklin Show moved to WORTV, and it still remains one of the longest-running uninterrupted careers in broadcasting. BronxWalkOfFame.com tells us more. Quote, The Joe Franklin Show, which aired for an astonishing 43 years, making one of the longest-running talk shows in history. The Joe Franklin Show had a unique format, featuring a wide range of guests from aspiring artists to Hollywood legends. Franklin's warm and affable demeanor made the show a platform where guests felt comfortable sharing their stories and experiences. Countless entertainers, including Woody Allen, Barbara Streisand, and Steven Spielberg, credit Franklin with helping them launch their careers. Unquote. This is in spite of some pretty shocking limitations. The first of which was Joe himself, which according to Dan Spencer on Medium.com, quote, a short, doughy guy with sleepy eyes, a comb over, and always wearing a bargain basement suit and tie. Joe Franklin looked more like a carpet salesman than a TV personality, unquote. Also, the show aired at 1 a.m. Eastern on a station with no national reach and a shoestring budget, no studio audience, and the rich and famous sharing the bills with people like New Jersey lounge singers, a two-bit psychic, or a ventriloquist whose lips moved like Tommy Tuberville trying to reread a McDonald's menu. They all appeared on Franklin's stage in an egalitarian shit show. And Joe Franklin is widely credited as the inventor of the TV talk show. And all the shows that came after him emulated his show to one degree or another. There were, of course, many local variants of the Joe Franklin show, but in 1954, the late-night talk show went national, launching from a New York City show hosted by television and radio personality, comedian, musician, composer, writer, and actor that went by the name of Steve Allen. And Steve Allen is one of those performers that fundamentally shaped American entertainment. Yeah, well, Krusty stole it from Steve Allen. Everybody stole from Steve Allen. I could spend a whole show talking about Steve Allen. Please, don't. But this episode is just about one of the things Steve Allen did. And when NBC debuted a show called Tonight at 11.30 p.m. September 27, 1954. The format was an expanded version of the Joe Franklin show. Steve Allen sat at a desk talking to celebrities. But Tonight added several elements, and the first of which was announcer and a slash sidekick. And for Steve Allen, that would be one Gene Rayburn. We told you all about Gene in episode number 387. That's a, that's a plug. It also included a band leader for the first time. A band leader named, and I swear I'm not making this up, Skitch Henderson. It's, what, what are you doing? I'm Skitching. Tonight also introduced the host monologue and the mixing of comedy bits and musical performances by the house band and musical guests. A watcher from 2024 could tune into tonight and be totally bored and confused because they didn't know any of the people on the screen or why it's in black and white, but they would recognize it as a talk show. Tonight also introduced another talk show staple, the guest host. 
Steve Allen was given a primetime show during his time at the helm of Tonight when he was busy doing the more lucrative Steve Allen show. A fellow comedian by the name of Ernie Kovacs would sit in behind his desk. With all of these components brought together, the elements of the modern late-night TV talk show were in place. You know what? At the time, Tonight was still relatively small beans. When Steve Allen left tonight for the full prime time show that he was running, the show changed into a more news and talk format, kind of a mirror of NBC's morning show they called Today, rebranded Tonight, America After Dark, which sounds more like it was a TV studio full of half-naked women lounging on divans and whispering sexy things into the screens of night owls. I would watch that show. Sadly, America wasn't ready for that kind of late-night TV yet, just yet. Instead, the show was a little-watched time filler with a revolving door of hosts leading to a number of affiliate stations dropping the show entirely. This is as good a time as any to explain why tonight was on the air in the first place. Talk shows are, in general, extremely cheap to produce. And the networks were all like, I like the sound of that. Because dead air generates no revenue, even the small revenue from running shows like Tonight made money for the networks. This is one of the reasons why Steve Allen was moved to primetime. He was worth way more than late night, and NBC was worried they would lose him to a rival if they didn't give him a primetime show. So, the networks could produce shows with a small budget and sell ads against that show. These ads would almost universally bring in more money than the budget, and so... Here we go. Profit, profit, profit. It was good for the people creating the shows because they got paid, and it was good for the guests appearing on the show because... As they say, all publicity is good publicity. A fading actor could make a little money for appearing on the show, at least union scale, which might be the difference between eating or not eating that month, or, you know, having to get a real job. This was long before a late-night appearance could make or break a career or be the difference between a big box office opening and a total flop. The Tonight Show was, in the broadcast sense of the word, a needle mover. It was content for content's sake, only on the air to have something on the air. Only later would it become a needle mover in the modern sense of the word, meaning having a significant impact on a subject or person. Let me see if I can explain you using a modern context. This show, this podcast right here, is a needle mover for the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. Now, it is up to you to decide which of the two definitions this show actually fits. I'm guessing the former. With the show tonight, America After Dark, flailing, NBC decided to revert to the previous format with a new host. And the man they chose to do it was radio and television legend Jack Parr. And Jack Parr would transform tonight into something worth staying up late for. My folks stay up to watch Jack Parr every night. Parr was a veteran of radio and after being drafted into World War II, becoming in fact an actual veteran, he served in the USO, I mean, it wasn't like he was fighting in the trenches, he turned to the film industry and found only moderate success. He would find success in spades in this new thing called television. After doing stints on The Jack Benny Show and The Ed Sullivan Show, he found himself hosting CBS's morning show when he was offered to reboot Tonight in the host seat in 1957. I'm quoting now from a 2004 obit in Time Magazine for Jack Parr. Quote, The Steve Allen Tonight Show had everything Parr and his, and his successors had. In fact, it had more. Parr dropped the skits and I believe stumped the band. What it didn't have was Parr. 
He was what was different about The Tonight Show. Barr developed kind of a rep company of guests. Actors Cliff Arquette, Hans Conried, Dodie Goodman, Peggy Cass, and Betty White. Yes, that Betty White. Comedy writer Selma Diamond, party maven Elsa Maxwell, theater and cabaret personality Hermione Gingold, the chartreuse Genevieve, and a pianist misanthrope Oscar Levant. Parr booked guests for a show as you might invite guests to your home. His regulars were bright friends with beguiling personalities and good stories, not stars with a movie to push. With a segment slot of 12 to 15 minutes instead of five or six on a modern talk show, Parr had the chance to talk and relax his guests, who were less schooled in the TV interview because there were so so few venues for it. His interview method was to coax rather than pummel. Let's take it easy, his manner suggested. We've got all night. Only his monologues and asides was his agitated, anguished, aggrieved Jack Parr obvious, unquote. Parr redefined The Tonight Show in his own image. He took out the skits and bits that Allen incorporated and focused on the guest interviews. And Parr didn't conduct interviews. He talked to his guests. They had actual conversations. To be sure, they were filled with jokes and reposts. But no, there were also insights and educations into the end of the into the issues of the day. Parr famously went to Cuba and interviewed Fidel Castro after the revolution. He went to Hawaii when it became the 50th state, and when the Berlin Wall went up, Jack Parr went to West Berlin and talked to people about it. I mean, I fucking love David Letterman. You know what? I didn't see Dave doing a top 10 list for the Brandenburg Gate when the wall came down. Under par of The Tonight Show was one of the earliest adopters of shooting in color video. That started in 1960. And people loved the show. Ratings skyrocketed and all of a sudden NBC's late night needle mover became must-see TV. This was something unheard of before par. And the show expanded to an hour and a half every night from 11.30 to 1 a.m. Which... It's actually kind of odd when you think about it, because more from Time Magazine, quote, Parr paraded his neuroses nearly nine hours each week for his audience of seven million. Though he famously said, it's almost impossible to dislike me because I do nothing. He did do something. He worried in public. His talent was fretting with a soft spaniel face that would have typecast him as the jilted lover if he'd stayed in movies longer, Parr was a world-class worrier. And his gift for intimacy combined with brazen belief that his private thoughts would be more fascinating to his audience than embarrassing to himself, leading Parr to confessional ecstasies, unquote. My God. Think of the kind of ego it takes to believe that people want to hear some confessional shit about your life as a form of entertainment just the size of stones it takes to make your personal life some sort of cheap bid on a show uh they par could also be an absolute prick when he wanted to be he picked fights with various pundits and thinkers he particularly loathed walter winchell for his hypocrisy when it came to communism he would openly mock guests he disagreed with the night after they were on. He booted a visibly drunk Mickey Rooney off the, share, off the show and then aired the segment when it happened. He once introduced Jane Mansfield's breast instead of James Mansfield when she arrived on his soundstage. I mean, come on. And then there was the time Jack Parr quit the show without warning because the censors cut. A very innocuous joke. Again from Time, quote, Parr, like playwrights and screenwriters, 
at the time, mostly toyed with innuendo. Comedy back then was suggestive, not subversive, and coy, not confrontational. On Wednesday, February 10th, 1960, he told an antidote, I believe a viewer had sent it in, in which the phrase water closet or toilet was confused with Wayside Chapel, unquote. And the bit was cut because he used the term water closet. If, if you don't know what a water closet is, it's a... Friends, we're This so offended Parr that the next night on the air, well, it was, it was taped, but he did it and the tape ran. He did this. I'm leaving the Tonight Show. There must be a better way of uh, making a living than this. You have been peachy to me always. And then just walked the fuck off camera, leaving his sidekick Hugh Downs to finish the show, and Parr disappeared. Stayed gone for three and a half weeks. And then, three and a half weeks later, he walked on stage and picked up by saying, as I was saying before I was interrupted, I believe my last words were that there must be a better way of making a living than this. Well, I've looked, and there isn't. And it wasn't a bit. He had to be begged to come back to the show. And yeah, Parr did apologize to the audience. Dude just fucking walked off in the middle of the show and got away with it. That's how popular Jack Parr was. I mean, maybe Johnny Carson could have done that, but honestly, I doubt it. And to be fair, the reason wasn't so much that he had been censored. Parr understood how the world worked, but it was how he had been censored. NBC simply cut the three minutes Parr was telling this, again, what was a very innocuous joke, even by the standard of the time, and ran news coverage without telling Parr that it had done so. And we learned about it the next day, well, this is what he said. You couldn't find the entire clip of it because it is super hard to find footage, an audio footage of Jack Parr. He said, quote, I've been up for 30 hours without an ounce of sleep wrestling with my conscience all day. I've made a decision about what I'm going to do. I'm leaving The Tonight Show. There must be a better way to make a living than doing this, a way of entertaining people without being constantly involved in some sort of controversy. I love NBC. They've been wonderful to me, but they let me down, unquote. That sounds a little dramatic to you. All I can say is that if someone edited this show without telling me, I would be beyond furious. There would be no coming back from that. Not that Jeremy would ever do something like that. I mean, hell... He barely listens at all. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Parr left the show for good in March of 1962, this time for a primetime show of his own. Because doing an hour and a half a show five nights a week, that shit was fucking exhausting. I mean, I do one show a week every week, and it fucking exhausts me. And trust me, there is no Jack Parr in this shithole. NBC tried to keep him in the slot, reducing the number of nights a week that he was on, on live. and He had reruns and guest hosts, including a young fellow by the name of Johnny Carson, which is a name you might recognize. But the truth was, Parr was done. NBC gave him a weekly primetime gig that ran well into 1965, but he felt that his creative well was running dry. And so in 1965, Jack's final primetime show featured him and his dog just walking off stage for the last time. He'd pop up from time to time to do specials, and but essentially he had retired to run a TV station in Maine. There is a lot to talk about Jack Parr, 
that doesn't have anything to do with the Tonight Show. If you're curious about Jack Parr, I will leave it to you pod friends to do, as they say, your own research. Parr's successor was never really in question. It was going to be Johnny Carson, but there was one small problem. Johnny Carson was still under contract to ABC for an afternoon game show called Who Do You Trust? And ABC was unwilling to let Carson out of his contract early for, you know, first bite. This left NBC in a bind, so they filled Parr's chair with a who's who of talk shows. Or rather, they would fill them with people who would become the who's who of talk shows. Quoting now from Wikipedia, quote, The months between Parr and Carson were filled with a series of guest hosts, including Art Linklater, Joey Bishop, Bob Cummings, Merv Griffin, Jack Carter, Jan Murray, Peter Lynn Hayes and Mary Healy, Soupy Sales, Mort Saul, Steve Lawrence, Jerry Lewis, Jimmy Dean, Arlene Francis, Jack E. Leonard, Hugh Downs, Groucho Marx, Hal March, and Donald O'Connor, many of whom later noted that they were being led to believe that they were auditioning for the job. Francis was among the first women to ever host a late-night talk show. Griffin was so well-received as a guest host that NBC gave him his own daytime talk show, the first of three he would host in his broadcasting career, which debuted the same day Carson took over the late show. And Lewis's two-week stint was so successful that NBC seriously considered retracting their offer to Carson. Lewis subsequently wound up hosting a lavish two-hour primetime talk show for ABC entitled The Jerry Lewis Show, which was famously unsuccessful and continued his more successful movie career. ABC also picked up the uh, picked up Gene as a variety show host, airing the Demi Jimmy Dean show for 3 years from 1963 to 1966. The show was broadcast under the title The Tonight Show during the interregnum with Skitch Henderson returning as band leader. Hugh Downs remained as announcer sidekicks until taking over hosting duties on Today in September, at which point he was replaced by Ed Herlihy, unquote. But it was on October 1st, 1962, that Groucho Marx would introduce formally, and for the first time, the new host of The Tonight Show, and his sidekick, who stepped out on stage and gave for the very first time on NBC the iconic... And the rest, as they say, is history. History we shall talk about in detail next week. Now, you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about this again? I mean, this is the kind of this kind of thing is sort of outside of our normal range of topics. I don't know boomer shit like that. Well, first of all, it's content. We have needles to move, and this sort of thing makes them twitch. More importantly, it leads to talking about Carson. And Carson leads to talking about Letter, Letterman and Leno, all of whom, for better or worse, played a huge role in pop culture in this dumb country. I am setting up the show in which I finally get to shit all over fucking Jay Leno. In my heart, I am simple man. Also, <laughs> I came up with what I thought was just an awesome title for this show, and there was no way that I wasn't going to use it. But at all, and you know what? It's good to know where things come from. It helps everybody understand why things are the way they are. That is the raison d'etre of this dumb show. So yeah, I spent half an hour covering the stuff that happened long before I was born. But also, I did get to compare myself to favorably to Jack Parr. And if you don't think that I love to stroke my own ego like that whenever I get the chance, I mean, 
Do you even listen to this show, bro? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. That is it for the show this week and for part one of Late Night with Dave Bledsoe, our winter series for 2024. There are three more Mondays in January, and I'm going to fill them with late night content. You can look forward to some big announcements in the coming weeks about our sister show, The Dowers Boys, which will be spinning off into its own feed Real soon, y'all. Once that happens, be sure to follow y'all. Hear me and Jared shoot the shit about karaoke music and whatever pops in our heads. Now, you should rate and review this show up so that other people can find it. Take a listen and ask me to show them in the doll where Jay Leno hurt me. Kick us a dollar at patreon.com slash podcast because that's the only way my sidekick Gavin gets paid. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise... He'll be forced to bring in a series of guest hosts to fill in for me after I've stormed off in a huff again. And so for me, Dave, trying to match Jack Parr, Bledsoe, producing, no one loves you, that's just how things are. Gavin and all the fictional celebrities on this panel, we want to say, waiting for a par to fall is a hell of a pun, if you, and you should really appreciate it. I mean, come on, boy meets girl, waiting for a star to fall. Yeah, you haven't ever heard of it. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Here's Johnny! Ah! Ah!